with me. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Remember me as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you must be. Prepare for death and follow me. That short verse is found inscribed on many headstones in New England and even back in England and back to Norman France. It's a tradition that seems to have come across the channel and is that old, reminding the person who walks by graves that indeed we all have one destination before the return of the Lord. Last week, on one of my favorite artists from college days died. Did you all hear about the death of Toby Keith? Country, country singer? Yeah, I know. You can groan if you want to. But I love Toby Keith. It just kind of defined that post-9-11 moment when I was in school. And I found myself mourning in a strange way over someone that I'd never met. I was also reflecting that evening on the fact that one of my professors, whom I admired, died 12 years ago at the ever younger age, seemingly, of 56. In the midst of life we are in death, says the prayer book, in whom may we seek help but you, O Lord? As Christians, however, we know that death is not what God intended for us, right? Quite the opposite, in fact. From Genesis, we see that God intends for us to be alive, to be create, created and living with him permanently in good relationship. And all that, of course, is changed by the fall. St. Thomas Aquinas, that great theologian of the medieval era, writes that life was created purely out of God's love and goodwill. Think about that for a moment. Life itself, all creation, comes purely out of God's love and goodwill. He didn't have to do it. He looked ahead and he knew that we were going to fall. And yet still out of his divine love and charity, he made man and woman in this whole world. But from the moment that Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and decided that they would be like God, quote-unquote, that is, define what was good and what was evil in their own minds, sin entered into the world, and with sin, death and pain and suffering. Part of the curse of sin was death. In fact, the death of our relationship with God, the death of our relationship with other human beings, which has been impaired ever since. The death of part of our nature, part of the thing that's inside of us that God created us for, has died too. The death and corruption of the world around us. Remember that you are dust, 
and to dust you shall return. We're going to hear in a few moments as ashes are imposed upon our foreheads. It's a quotation of Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, and it's actually the Lord passing a sentence of judgment on Adam and Eve. The message paraphrase of the Bible puts it more bluntly. You started out as dirt, you'll end up as dirt. And frankly, dear friends, without God's miraculous inter intervention, that's all there'd be to it. Dirt to dirt, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. But thank God there's so much more. For thank God that he did interfere. He did intervene in this world. He undid the wages of death. For St. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so that death might spread to all men who'd sinned, so Christ came into the world, that all might have life. So this, objectively, is where all human beings begin. Death to death, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Marking time, walking towards the grave in judgment, in condemnation, looking past the grave. The reality is not something to be sloughed off or postponed and ignored. Because eternity is a long time. And it, though the days seem long here, they are fleeting. Talk to any one of your brothers and sisters, particularly our older saints. They'll tell you. As I passed the 40-year threshold, I'm starting to see this with my own children. Wow, things are moving quick now. The reality is that time marches on. And what are we to ascribe, whether we ascribe to it, rather, or not, the truth is that there's a spiritual law that's been broken by us a law that brings death with sin. And we can no more ignore that law than I can ignore the law of gravity. I could say I don't believe in gravity and step off of this pulpit. I'm still going to break my leg. Spiritual laws are the same way. You can't ignore them. Just because you don't subscribe to something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That's why the prophet Joel is so adamant in our first lesson. He's calling God's people to repentance. And believe it or not, Joel chapter 2 verse 1 and 2 is good news. It's good news. I invite you to look at it with me. It's there in your bulletin or you can open your Bible and look at it that way. <clears throat> Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of cloud and thick darkness. Now that doesn't sound like very good news. And in fact, it wouldn't be if that were the end of the story. But look at verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. 
And so we see hope introduced on this Ash Wednesday, even in the book of Joel. The great darkness in the original context here is an army about to invade. But of course, metaphorically, what we're speaking of here is our adverse adversary, the devil. And sin and death, our great adversary. And rather than abandon us, the God of love who created us out of love interferes, intervenes, and gives us the gift of repentance. I want to say that again. Gives us the gift of repentance. Who of us thinks about repentance as a gift? Oh, Charlie, good. Good man, Charlie. Man after the Lord's own heart. Yeah. Repentance is a gift, isn't it? It's a gift to mean you're not stuck on the path that you're going. You're not just marking time until the end. There's something beyond the grave. Oh, yes, you'll face the grave. But there's something beyond that. There's someone who's conquered it. There's hope. And there's hope for the repentant. God gives the opportunity, the gift, if you will, to turn around, not to continue down that dark path, but there's also an urgency. As the prophet Joel says, sound the alarm. There's an urgency here, too. In his epistle to the Corinthians, the second epistle, St. Paul talks about this urgency. He talks about the fact that we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. He says, therefore, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so it's not just some flowery hope, but it's a very tangible idea that God gives to us, the repentant, the righteousness of God himself. And so hopefully you're starting to see the imagery that's going on with the ashes. You know, I saw a great meme, because of course this is St. Valentine's Day also, right? And it said, when Ash Wednesday meets St. Valentine's Day, and it, it had the priest putting the ashes on and the symbol of a heart. Have you seen that? It's pretty funny. I'll admit. But it actually got me thinking. The cross being put on our foreheads is the greatest symbol of love. It's the greatest symbol of this mixture of basing our mortality, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, being combined with the hope of the resurrection that comes only through the sign of the cross only through Christ's work upon the cross, making his righteousness, his ability to stand before God Almighty, our own. But did you know there's another thing going on, beyond forgiveness even, in the sign of the cross made with the imposition of ashes? Did you know that ash is a cleaning agent? You know that ash is a cleaning agent? I mean, now you just go down to the store and you pick up your bottle of, uh, I don't know, Fantastic or Murphy's Oil Soap or, you know, we've got our pick, right? 
lots of a huge pig. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes. Of course, in most places of the world, it's not that way. And it wasn't for thousands of years. And so what people would do, and it's been scientifically, chemically proven that this works, is you take some ash and you put it in water and mix it together, and it's a cleaning agent. You can wash your hands with it. You can wash clothes with it. Sometimes people would add lye to it in order to increase its effectiveness. But ash is a cleaning agent, too. And so far from just being gloomy, putting ashes on our head, the service of Ash Wednesday is an affirmation of God's love for us by the sign of the cross and his promise to clean us, to present us, as St. Paul says, to God as an unblemished bride. That is a solid hope, dear friends. Not some pie-in-the-sky thinking, but the solid hope of being presented to God Almighty, washed by his Son. And so tonight, on this special night, we signify that with this ash. As Christians, if we're Christians, we have repented. And we've received God's gift of life through Jesus. If you're not a Christian, dear friends, why not? Today is the day of salvation. Don't count tomorrow as for certain. It might not be there for you. God calls you to himself now, at this moment. Repent and receive the grace given for you on the cross. Ashes are not just that sign of death, not just a sign of lamenting our sin, though that's important, but they're a sign of forgiveness, restoration, and cleansing. And thus, as we go forward this day and into the next 40 days of Lent, we need to take those three signs with us. Number one, we need to lament our sins. There's a... I don't know if you call it a fad. It's been going on a long time. <laughs> but there, there is this idea that we shouldn't talk about our sins anymore. That that's offensive. Of course it is offensive to us. If we're actually serious about it. But we need to take with us into Lent this idea that we must be made whole by God by abandoning our sins by turning away from our sins, by repenting of our sins, number one. And that's a season. It's actually a lifetime that we have to do that, but this season we focus on it. Number two, that by the cross, God has changed us. By the cross, God has given us his righteousness. We need that reassurance, because we can get in some pretty dark places if we just dwell on repentance, right? The reality of forgiveness is even greater than our lament. And number three, that God is faithful. That God is faithful to present us pure and unblemished. That God is doing a work in you, dear brother or sister. That God is working in you for these next 40 days particularly to help refine you, to help clean you, to help make you that to which he's called you. 
And so I ask you to embrace all three. Don't let one outweigh the other. Keep that balance. Lament your sins. Repent. Feel the grace of forgiveness. The reality of God's mercy in the cross. And be made clean. Allow him to clean you and make you better. For he will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the amazing love that you have for us. A love of creation, a love of forgiveness, and a love of restoration. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to help us understand that well. If we haven't received it, we ask you to help us receive, it, receive that in your Son, Jesus. And we ask that you would help us to proclaim that reality in its fullness to those around us, that they too might have hope of the resurrection. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.